The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Welcome in, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of College Football Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter, if you'd like to follow him. And uh, everything is breaking and dying right now. Uh, Nick Saban it has COVID. LSU Florida's canceled. Missouri got uh, canceled. This week, a lot of postponed games, Nick. Uh, we're trying to keep our head above water here. Uh, Big 12, thankfully for me, is on vacation this week, but it looks like the SEC is getting a bunch of games uh, potentially canceled because Alabama played Ole Miss, and Nick Saban and the AD at Al- Alabama, I mean, maybe 15 minutes before we started recording, we found out that uh, Saban has COVID and has left the team uh, for now, and Sarkeesian's going to take over. So, uh, lots of stories developing right now, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly, first and foremost, hope that uh, he's going to be okay. Hope everybody uh, who's impacted uh, across you know, across the country, across college football will be okay. But it's a bit of a shock. I mean, we've, we've, this isn't the first coach, of course. We've seen mm-hmm. uh, Mike Norvell. We've, we've seen uh, Les Miles. And, and of course, uh, we, we don't get names as much for players, but we know that guys are, are impacted and, and uh, it's, it's something unfortunately that we've had to deal with for, you know, all year. And, and it's, uh, you know, still though certain names come across and, and it, it kind of shocks the system a little bit. And that's what it was for me, at least uh, seeing uh, Nick Saban, you know, pop up and get a notification that he had uh, tested positive. So it's 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 all strange. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, of course, is is by far and away the biggest game of this week, the biggest game that we've had of the season so far, and it's going to be really really weird. Uh, assuming, of course, that game goes goes forward, and hopefully, there's not a, a you know outbreak on the the Alabama team that impacts uh, this game. But uh, it's going to be weird to to flip on Saturday night and Nick Saban not be on the sidelines uh, for the biggest game of the year to date. Yeah. I mean, uh, Xavier, that, that game I would say is in question now. Uh, Lane, Lane Kiffin says that Ole Miss is having COVID issues as well. Uh, We found out Nick Saban, Greg Byrne, uh, Vanderbilt, Missouri postponed LSU, Florida postponed. So we're in, we're in COVID hell for college football right now. Yeah, it, it sucks because, I mean, it's taking away some of the best matchups of this week, most importantly. Yeah, I would assume Georgia and Alabama will probably be postponed until further notice. Um, yeah, I, we, we all saw this coming at some point. I mean, we, we knew that this was always going to be a continuation throughout the throughout the season. We talked about it on this podcast a bunch, how we can't, you know, 
just because we're playing doesn't mean the virus is going anywhere. Uh, and so, you know, obviously there's something we have to deal with. Uh, but we hopefully, you know, Saban gets healthy again and, and those who have COVID um, can get back healthy um, and, and can resume their jobs, whether it be player or coaches, um, you know, and do what they want to love and do what they love again. So hopefully those guys get better. Uh, but most importantly is their health and the games can be postponed. As much as I love Georgia, play three weeks from now if that fits better uh, and, and that makes sure everybody is healthy. Yeah, and I guess uh, moving forward to what we saw in last week's game, and we'll get to, to this week, obviously, more in depth a little bit later. But uh, what we normally like to do is start the uh, top of the show with some stuff that happened from last week. But, uh, you know, with that news just breaking, we had to hit it uh, <laughs> right on the head there because we just found out about it as we were firing up here. Um, but in the uh, ranked action for this week, my Longhorns lost in four overtimes to Oklahoma. I was very not happy about that, but uh, such is life. Uh, LSU got upset by Missouri, North Carolina, and Vatek. You guys had the over 100 on this game, right? 56 <laughs> to 45. North Carolina takes them down. Uh, Texas A&M uh, beats Florida 41 to 38 in a fun game to watch. Uh, Iowa State beat Texas Tech 31 to 15. Georgia stomps Tennessee. 44 to 21 BYU scraped out a close one UTSA a lot better than we were giving them mm -hmm, credit for mm -hmm. 27 to 20 in that one Auburn narrowly escapes defeat against Arkansas which had a lot of controversy in it so uh, 30 to 28 uh, Auburn over uh, Arkansas there and then Alabama beats Ole Miss 63 to 48 Clemson over Miami 42 to 17 and Notre Dame 42-26 over uh, Florida State, who did look better. But, uh, Nick, what were your big takeaways from uh, this week six? Well, I think the you know the most eyes were on Clemson-Miami, waited all day for that you know top ten matchup, and, and for uh, Clemson to come out and, and just control the game from the opening snap was, was pretty impressive and uh, was, was good to see – uh, Clemson take control of the game and, and really look like uh, one of, if not the team to beat that we've seen so far, at least in, in college football. So I uh, was very impressed with Clemson. Uh, Georgia, you know, you mentioned the final score. It was a lot closer than that for most of it. it, it yeah. you know, Georgia was down at halftime, couldn't get, uh, couldn't punch the ball in from the one yard line right before the half. So went in, uh, losing at, at the half, but were able to come in and, and uh, take control in the second half, which which was impressive. Alabama offensively is amazing. Just just they are clicking on absolutely all cylinders. Ole Miss is of course a bit of a uh, disappointment defensively, one of the worst defenses statistically that we've seen so far this year. But even that said, Alabama's performance is is very very impressive. Florida let Texas A&M hang on. It, 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 or hang around, I should say. It seemed like Florida was in control of that game pretty much all day, but they just couldn't put Texas A&M away. And, and uh, you know, an unfortunate fumble set up a, a opportunity to uh, take the lead there at the, the very end and, and knock off uh, Florida. So that was an exciting way to start for sure. Uh, you know, I felt like we did learn a few things. That was sort of my you know, thought process going in was I was, I was more so excited just to learn about, you know, how is Georgia going to 
react? Is you know what Stetson Bennett look like against a higher quality defense? Is Clemson uh, you know head and shoulders better than Miami? Is Miami a legitimate ACC title contender? And and you know of course wanted to see Alabama, wanted to see Florida. Uh, if they were, you know, really a, a playoff contender. And I don't know that this loss necessarily knocks them out or, or a close game uh, really makes you worry about Alabama uh, too much. Hopefully they'll fix a couple of things on defense. But overall, a lot of great games, exciting. Uh, not a ton of, of close, uh, you know, final scores, especially in the, the biggest games of the week. But uh for the most part, I would say the most exciting Saturday we've had so far. Your thoughts, Xavier, on, on this week? It was definitely ex- an exciting one, like Nick said. Yeah, defense was optional this week. Uh, that That is first takeaway from the week as multiple games went into the over and multiple teams scored 40-plus on this weekend. Um, biggest takeaways for me was the fact that Florida, that the, that the teams at the top of the AP – really struggled defensively, barring Clemson and Georgia this week. Uh, you're looking at an Alabama team that really, really struggled uh, against the run, which was really weird. Uh, they, they looked to get kind of pushed around up front, and, and that was the most concerning part about it. Uh, Matt, Matt Corral once again looked great. He's making me look like an idiot on this podcast, but that's fine. Um, you know, he's he's looking fantastic. From Florida's perspective, the fact that A&M has not been, been able to put together – decent drives all season and they were able to consistently find deep targets uh, especially when you have a, a school in Florida that prides itself on its secondary uh, that was concerning to watch and, and from North Carolina's perspective they just continue to concern me with their lack of discipline and their lack of focus it seems like every game they go through these quarter-like lulls where they just let the team that of lesser talent stick around uh, this time they they did it in the form of allowing an onside kick midway through the third quarter after Virginia Tech scores, which allowed them to put, uh, put 14 on the board and quick succession and 23 in the quarter as a whole uh, in the third. Uh, and then lastly, what is Auburn should have lost this week, period. That was a fumble in every book, you know, that has ever been written about football. If you fumble the snap and then throw it backwards, it's a fumble. I, I don't know what, you know, refs should be full time. I've been arguing for, this for years now. Just take, they get a get a beautiful salary as it is. Just bump it up and make them full time. It's time for that to happen so that issues like Saturday won't happen. And Arkansas would have got back to back SEC wins for the first time in God knows how long. Darren McFadden probably there the last time that it happened. So, you know, but the Arkansas getting hosed in that last second really was just like the kicker of the week. I was like, oh, okay. Cool. So Auburn has a reason to stay ranked. All right. Whatever. It is. So Nick, is that the biggest takeaway from week six? That defense seems to be optional in 2020 right here. I mean, like I said, the over 100 in the North Carolina Tech game, Alabama's defense even looked bad. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma went into uh, four overtime. So I guess they have an excuse. Their defenses were already bad. We're not used to seeing AM play Florida to a 41 38 game, you know, uh, or 44 21 for Georgia, Tennessee in, yeah. in the SEC. The, this is, I don't know, th- this seems very 2020 ish with all these points being scored right now. Yeah, well, I, I think there are two types of 
sloppiness that, that we can see. Sometimes, I mean, there are some lower scoring games and you think, okay, that's the, the sloppiness that we're maybe used to most if an offense isn't in rhythm and, and uh, you know, not connecting in the passing game or, or uh, you know, run, uh, not, not running the football well, uh, you know, hitting the hole or, or you know, certain blocks, maybe uh, timing is, is not quite right angles. You get messed up and things like that. So that, that I think is what a lot of us think of when we expect or, or when we hear, okay, this team isn't practicing at full capacity or, you know, had a game canceled and then it's taken a little while to get back on the field and knock the rust off. But uh, it, it's an issue as well defensively and, and tackling is of course an issue. Uh, run fits an issue, uh, uh, you know, all sorts of things that those are, are instances where we can see sloppiness as well, where you get big plays, busted coverages and, and, uh, uh, just running through missed tackles, arm tackles, and, and whatnot. So uh, I, I think that it's a product of the year. I think it's a product of uh, lack of practice time or, or just sort of strange, you know, a, a different practice uh, setup, and, and there's less tackling going on, it seems. There's uh, just a lot more you know, uh, hoops you have to, to jump through than in a normal year and, and uh, people maybe just aren't quite getting up to speed. We've seen so many mistakes in special teams and, and things like that. So I think we'll, we'll see a little bit of that each week. There are some games, uh, you know, Army and the Citadel played 14 to nine last, last week, and that was two triple yeah. option offenses. But, you know, K-State and TCU, 21-14. We'll, we'll see some games like that and we'll see uh, just – you know, because football games are like that sometimes, but also you'll see some sloppiness, ball on the ground, things like that as well that contribute. You'll see mistakes in the kicking game that uh, lead to, you know, easy uh, touchdowns. You'll see a snap over the quarterback's head that results in a touchdown for the mm -hmm. defense like we did first thing uh, for Tennessee. So, it, it you know, I, I think that uh, – this week, it was just obvious so much that the high scoring and, and uh, defensive issues. But I think we'll see, you know, a, a bit of that uh, some weeks and, and we'll see uh, different kinds of sloppiness from here on out. And then hopefully eventually we'll see uh, some really good football as well. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's still football, so we'll take it, of course. But it has better been than sloppy. the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Well, What's your uh, what was your biggest takeaway from from this week, Xavier? Was it the the defensive side, or was there something else that stood out to you? I, I think really number one thing that stood away stood you know was was a big takeaway is that I think Clemson is by far and away the best team in the country. Um, I think going into this week, I was still on the fence about how good Clemson was, and I wanted to see how competitive the rest of the ACC was in comparison to them. Uh, but after watching just, you know, the games from this week and watching all the teams throughout the season, I think they're far and away the best team offensively and defensively, and they're the most balanced. They have yet to show a glaring weakness. You know, obviously, Georgia's offense doesn't look like it's clicked on all cylinders yet all season, uh, even though they've won by, you know, two or three touchdowns each game. The offense hasn't necessarily been great every single game. Uh, you look at Alabama and the defensive woes for them are pretty apparent uh, against Ole Miss, at least. And, and that was an odd, you know, thing to see. But Clemson just looks like it's cracking on all cylinders. They're getting to the quarterback more so than they did last year with five sacks on Saturday. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne look in, in, in midseason form. And they look far and away the best team in college football. And I think that was a major takeaway from Saturday as well for me. 
All right. So um, from the specific games here, Nick, I mean, like Xavier just mentioned, Clemson beat Florida. Do you think they're the, the best team in the nation? By an easy margin. Uh, well, I, I, from what we've seen so far, they seem to be Clemson seems to be the most uh, complete team, and I, I was a little bit surprised. We've basically all all off season leading up, of course, to the year, and and then throughout the season, there have been three teams that have kind of been swapping back and forth between one, two, and three in our power ratings, and it's just you know for whatever <clears throat> reason, one week. Uh, a team will perform a little bit better in their, you know, team performance ratings or offensive line ratings, and that'll give them just the slightest of edges, or maybe a, an injury here or there, or uh, you know. But uh, Clemson, Alabama, and then also Ohio State, which is just sort of, of mm. course, stand, standing pat. Uh, but those three teams have sort of circled around, and it's basically a virtual tie as far as number one. I mean, none of the others would be more than a point favored, uh, you know, on a neutral field. So uh, those three teams are, are very, very uh, compatible, very, very uh, comparable uh, to, to one another and, and seem to be the three best teams. And of course, we don't necessarily know that about Ohio State yet. We're still factoring in their 2019 ratings uh, for the most part. And, and, you know, so so that remains to be seen. But from what I've seen so far, yeah, Clemson is – as good as it gets at this, you know, quarterback position at the running back position, uh, the defensive line is playing out of its mind for a unit that really has uh, had some of its most talented, most experienced guys injured for the most part of the, the season. They're performing incredibly well in our uh, defensive line performance ratings, despite playing you know, two or three true freshmen at a time and, and uh, have some depth issues there, at least early on. They seem to be getting healthier there. So, you know, watch out for that. Their corners have been playing amazing. Uh, the the weaknesses we thought that they might have uh, defensively have, have not been an issue. Uh, now, Miami probably wasn't the seventh best team in the country, so that win could be slightly misleading. But uh, Clemson looks very, very good. Looks like it could beat anybody right now. Alabama obviously has uh, some questions on defense um, that, that really need to be fixed. I mean, they, they have uh, looks like some schematic issues, maybe some coaching uh, issues that, that they've got to clean up, but from a, a talent standpoint and especially offensively, I mean, they, they look also like they can go toe to toe with anybody. So right now, yeah, I think Clemson makes sense as number one. They, as we speak, are actually number two behind Ohio State in, in our ratings. But uh, based on what I've seen so far, I, I certainly would give Clemson the edge at, at number one. And who did you lose the most faith in this week? Because a lot of decent teams, uh, you know, lost. Texas lost, LSU lost, uh, Florida lost, and, and they were ranked very, very high. Uh, North Carolina won, but they were very unimpressive, especially on defense, beating Botech. Um, and, uh, you know, Tennessee was ranked 14. They lost. Um, BYU played real close to UTSA. Who did you lose faith in this week? Uh, that's a good question. I, I guess the first name that comes to mind is Florida, but it, it's not that I really am ready to write off Florida. Um, I, I think you can say the Longhorns. I, I won't. <laughs> well, uh, the Big Twelve is just weird. I mean, it, yeah. it is, and and that's uh, one way. To this, it. It, it's just 
this year, it's just not going to not going to work out probably. And that's unfortunate because I was pretty high on Texas. I was pretty high on, on Oklahoma. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they were disappointing. Sure. Um, our numbers were on Oklahoma just slightly. So I was, I was pleased at the end uh, how that one, how that one played out. But uh, you know, Florida, Glad someone was <laughs> Florida. <laughs> that, that was so I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but so I, I, I wasn't, I didn't lose faith in, in Miami. That might be an easy answer here because really? our numbers didn't think Miami was the seventh best team in the country. They came in 23rd in our numbers. So this was you the, just saw what you expected. This was the outcome we expected. Exactly. Uh, North Carolina, same thing. I mean, they're, they're 24th, 25th in our, in our numbers. So they're not a top 10 team according to, our numbers. They certainly could could play their way to that. But as of yet, they're they're not quite there yet. So even though they they struggled to stop Virginia Tech, you know, I mean we, we thought Virginia Tech might cover, uh, but you know, an eleven point win, it, it's not like it was a, a, a you know too bad. So for the most part, there wasn't anything that was a major shock. The the Alabama defensive performance or lack thereof was a bit shocking. <laughs> uh, but based on sort of how our our numbers see certain teams, the the you know we expected Florida to win this game. We had Florida covering in this game. I certainly could have you know seen different scenarios to play out so that Texas A and M could give Florida. Uh, a lot of trouble and potentially even win this game, but uh, but our numbers didn't see that one coming. So that that was a little bit of a surprise that they haven't been able to fix things defensively, and that Texas A and M was actually really starting to slip a little bit in our numbers because they just didn't look good uh, the first two weeks. So uh, we didn't necessarily expect that they would be able to bounce back, that Texas A&M would be able to bounce back. Uh, and we thought that Florida would be able to sort of uh, keep it rolling. So that, I guess, was the biggest um, surprise. But a three-point loss on the road against a ranked conference opponent, uh, Florida still has everything to play for. So I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, even then, I, I'm not ready to write them off. Who did you lose the most faith in, Xavier? I'm curious to hear. Oh, I I never had any faith in Texas anyways after last week. So yeah. it, for, for me, the, the loss for Texas was after they lost to the CCU. Um, I mean, LSU's done. Yeah, uh, they, they, they've maybe been the most surprising. Uh, I think it's the way that it's happened as well uh, through the secondary, the, the, blow, the blown coverages, the lack of – uh, ability to stop the pass has been probably the, the biggest – they've been the biggest concern because of the fact that their offense has been clicking on all cylinders. Their, their offense has been really good. Miles Brennan doesn't look like he's lost much of a beat from – you know, obviously he's lost you know a step from Joe Burrow, but he's not that much of a step down, and their offense has continued to click. You know, they've scored 40 points in all of their games – or excuse me, they've scored 30-plus in all of their games this year. So offensively, you think, well, if they're putting up 30-plus a game, shouldn't they be 3-0? and You know, conventional wisdom would tell you, yes, if it wasn't for their defense giving up, you know, the most – points in the first three games in I think school history you know and that's and it's been so concerning because the one thing we weren't worried about necessarily from LSU was their secondary you know we talked about Derek Stingley we talked about you know 
how deep they were in that position. You know, we talked about how they lost so many linebacker talent and lost Patrick Queen and Clayvon and Chase on and how we thought that that might be the biggest issue in that, you know, Derek Stingley would hold the fort down back there at the very least. They've looked so bad just defending yeah. any kind of passing down the field, uh, you know, and, and that's really the biggest concern for me. Uh, the other, other team I would, I would say, you know, for me, at least put me on notice to keep an eye on them and make sure that they don't fall off of a cliff was Miami. And, and the reason for that is because I think that Miami is at this current moment, maybe a little fragile uh, mentally. You know, I, I'm kind of, you know, hoping that they don't fall off of a cliff after this loss. You know, this is a loss for Miami in the past, like a couple of years ago when they played Notre Dame on prime time, they lost that game, got blew out, and then they lost their next three this is one of those games for me that they got embarrassed on prime time a little bit. How do they bounce back next week or this week against a pit team that's going to come in hungry, that has a really good front four and is going to get after the quarterback again. Uh, and that's kind of a team I'm looking at just to kind of keep my eye on and hope that, you know, this is just a misnomer and that they can still continue to ride the impressive wave that they were on before this game. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Anything else from uh, week six we need to cover Nick or do we get it all? No, I mean, that was a really good point from Xavier. I guess I just <laughs> – LSU's out of sight, out of mind maybe for me already. <laughs> and I went back and looked at it. They are still fourth in our DB rankings from See? a talent standpoint. And so for for that much talent to look as bad as it has so far is, is – striking how far they've fallen. So we talked a little bit last week briefly and, and Kentucky gets brought up a lot because they've been on sort of the other, you know, on one end of this for me so far, but there, there are certain teams that a narrative starts to build and you think, okay, you know, people are really overhyping this team or people are really sleeping on this team. Well, LSU, of course, people didn't expect them to be, 2019 LSU, just based on what the roster looks now like now compared to what it uh, did. But, you know, people are now ready to just completely write off LSU. And, and I've seen it said before, this isn't necessarily an original thought, but uh, maybe this this week's cancellation was a bit of a, a blessing in disguise for LSU. Didn't have to just jump out and play a Florida offense that's been really, really good uh, so far this year. Very, very talented across the board to take an extra week, sit back, hopefully get some things fixed, you know, schematically get, get Bo Pelini uh, to figure out a few things defensively. And, and it wouldn't shock me if moving forward, people have already, you know, written off LSU and our numbers haven't quite given up on them yet. They've fallen pretty far, but they're still in the uh, what 12th or something like that for us, which, which is, or 14th. They're, they're a fourth best team in the SEC and 14th. That's a lot higher than, I mean, obviously they weren't even ranked uh, in the AP poll last week and then they lost. So they're not anywhere close to being ranked uh, moving forward. So, you know, maybe we'll have an opportunity for them when they come back in a couple of weeks and get South Carolina, you know, maybe our numbers will really be higher on LSU and, and there might actually be some value. And then that added time, whether it's practice or, or, uh, you know, getting some things uh, figured out uh, with uh, film work or, or whatever. Um, maybe they'll actually be able to, to bounce back and uh, we'll show some value on them. So that that's one thing I'm going to be looking for 
not just with LSU, but for a lot of teams, how is sort of the, the outside narrative compared to our numbers and, you know, who's right, who's wrong? Is there something maybe we have some value or, or some things that we can learn based on what we've seen that other people have picked up on? All right. How did we do for week six, Nick? How did everything look? Uh, overall, the totals saved us. <laughs> and, and so I'm very, I'm very pleased that our uh, statistical projections uh, took a lot of overs. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, we were, I mean, there were it, uh, actually a decent amount of unders. Yeah. And, and I think I mentioned it briefly last week that I, I, I feel like there's a lot of work to do on our statistical projections. This is the first year that we've done it. This is the first year we've tried to do totals. And, and it seems that every week we're never going to be on an over if it's over like 65. And that doesn't feel quite right because those some of those games are 70, 72, 75 for a reason. And a lot of those do tend to go over. And then we're never going to be under basically if it's uh, under, you know, 48, 47. And those games are there for a reason where, you know, obviously we, we expect a lot of uh, some low scoring games in, in certain situations. So I do have some tweaking to do there and, and maybe got a little bit lucky. But last week over uh, over unders were 19 and eight, which helped us uh, overall because against the spread. Our official projections were 11 and 16. So still a, a 55 and a half, uh, <laughs> 55 and a half. Uh, percent a week um so not not too bad and and the uh, all three agree we avoided disaster which is always my concern and we'll get to that this week because there's more than ever uh, of those but we went five and five uh which we're we're all the way down to 65.3 percent this year uh when all three of our projection models uh agree so man uh still good numbers Still, still great numbers, obviously. So, uh, all right. Well, let's go in to this week seven. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, Xavier, you're going to be up first as per usual. Uh, Nick Nick is removing his hat because he had a Braves hat Woo! on before the game started. Woo! And the Dodgers are winning 11-zip in the first inning. So, uh, oh my god, yeah. Hey, Nick, can you buy an AM hat for me? Is that uh, is that something you can do? So, this weekend, yeah. Well, I don't care anymore. So, uh, but Xavier, pick the first game you'd like to look at going into week seven here. Ah, now this is going to be a game that I'm going to make Nick talk about this team again because they won last week. Kentucky and Tennessee, let's talk about it. Oh, uh, you stole mine, <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes. Uh, I really like this game. I think Kentucky's coming off of a, a massive win, especially for their defense, um, holding Mississippi State to two points, um, really shutting down an offense that we've seen their highs. We've also seen them, their lows, but two points is an all-time low. Uh, Got to be for Mike Leach in, in his tenure at any, uh, any team. Uh, but Kentucky's coming off of a really good defensive performance against uh, Mississippi State where they were locked in. Uh, and I think that last week kind of was – maybe a season turner for them. They've played kind of on the fringe of being a good team. Uh, and we were kind of waiting for them to show their ability on both sides of the football and play a complete game. And they did it on Saturday uh, on the opposite end. you got Tennessee coming off of a loss where in the second half, they just went completely silent offensively. Um, 
Garantano went back to being Garantano. Uh, it was it was just a really poor performance from them offensively in that second half, and it was due a lot to the front, front to the front uh, four of Georgia getting to Garantano a lot. Uh, he had no time to throw. Obviously, you have the strip. Uh, fumble and score uh, from Monty Rice. One of the picks was due to a uh, to a rush up the middle. Another fumble by Aziz Ojolari was a sack off the edge. I mean, their their offensive line has got to get back to some film study. Uh, but defensively, for the most part, they actually played pretty well. The defense kept them in the game. Even into that third quarter, after two turnovers, they were only down by three because Georgia couldn't punch it in because the defense was playing so well. Uh, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. Henry Tototo? I don't know. To <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, he's a monster. Uh, he, you know, he put me on notice as one of the best linebackers in the country, possibly. Uh, and, and it's going to really come down to can Tennessee right their wrongs from last week? Um, obviously, I think Tennessee is the most talented team out of this game, but it's really a mental thing for me. Once again, kind of like I talked about Miami earlier, is Tennessee going to allow that Georgia loss to get them – unfocused for the rest of the year because a lot of people probably have now written off Tennessee as a team that could compete in SEC East or a team that can get to Atlanta per se and for Kentucky this is a huge game for them still they're trying to get back to 500 trying to show the rest of the conference especially in the SEC East that they can play and compete with the top teams uh, so this is a really interesting matchup for me once again it's one of those 12 o'clock games so Scott you're gonna have to wake up uh, but I, I love this matchup because I think both teams are going, have been going and are going in the opposite direction and can continue to go in that direction, depending on how this game goes out. I don't want to get up early, but there's a lot of fun games starting at yes. nine this week. So <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm going to be up early that that's gonna, that's going to have to happen. I'm, I just want to, you know, uh, throw the, um, spread out on this game too. And the over under, it is uh, going to be Tennessee minus six 46 is the over under on that one seems like it might be a, a low over the way Tennessee has been playing, but these teams play great defense, Nick. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, this, this is a very interesting one. And, and we've talked about Kentucky and last week I mentioned them as the example of, I, I hope eventually, uh, and, and we might, it might have been a little bit short-lived. I was hoping, of course, because we had Mississippi State actually favored in that game, that they were going to be able to, to put up a good showing and, and pull off an upset. Uh, so maybe this, you know, maybe we didn't get any added value necessarily, but I was hoping our numbers would uh, keep Kentucky relatively strong and sort of the, the market would start to sour on them. Uh, and, and so we could actually turn things around and you guys would hear me week after week be very positive about Kentucky because uh, <laughs> you're so concerned about how negative I was the first three weeks. So, uh, this, you know, this this week, maybe we get a little bit of that because on paper, Tennessee's a, a much more talented team. Our, our talent edge projection has Tennessee almost a 10 point favorite. Uh, we we talk weekly. It seems that Kentucky, you know, seems to do more with less. They're not going to have a talent edge in the SEC very often. Uh, even their best units, their their best position groups, uh, Tennessee has more talented players. We talk about the the Kentucky offensive line being a top ten unit, and, and that's that is talent. That's as far as pure talent. They've recruited really really well, and they've developed well, and and you know, got that unit is experienced. They rank eighth overall and offensive line in our talent numbers. Well, Tennessee ranks fourth. So, you know, even that best of the best unit that they've got, Tennessee's got 
pound for pound players just as talented, if not more so. And, you know, Kentucky does have a tendency to, to get some overachievers in there. That's why they actually do have an edge in our head coach ratings. Uh, Mark Stoops is a, a higher uh, rated coach than Jeremy Pruitt, but basically everywhere else across the board, Tennessee is just as good, uh, if not better. That all said, our, our other two models think this is going to be a pretty close game. Our, our uh, stat projection where we take out all the talent, we just look at, at historical performance and then the season to date, how are teams, uh, you know, stacking up, uh, you know, point for point, basically. And we've got Tennessee favored by about uh, a point and a half, close to uh, between one and a half and two points. In our official uh, overall model, which I, I do need to mention this week, um, we've started, we've been phasing out preseason stuff and, and 2019 stuff and, and basing it more and more on 2020 as the, uh, as the season goes on. Well, this week is our biggest update where we took almost all of our uh, preseason projections out and it's almost entirely uh, 2020. Um, so it, there, there was some shifting in our ratings and our rankings from Monday to Tuesday when I made that uh, final update. So uh, just anybody out there that may have uh, a patron that got our uh, matchups on Monday. And, and if you look at what the rankings are today and they don't necessarily match up, that's some of this uh, last updates. But uh, anyway, that, that model, our, our most up-to-date model, which does include uh, the most 2020 information and statistics uh, to date has Tennessee is only about a three point favorite, about three and a half. So uh, we think that Kentucky can, can play a close game and is a rivalry game that always, you know, have to incorporate that, you know, uh, a little bit extra for that sometimes. Uh, so we think it's going to be uh, a very close Tennessee 27, 24 is our projected final score. That is a uh, over a 46. Again, our model just hasn't quite, gotten the the tails uh, quite yet so i'm not surprised that we're over on that but not supremely confident because i think that these are two good defenses uh and both offenses you know have have promise but have uh some questions as well but yeah we we think kentucky can hang and we're finally finally uh, on kentucky <laughs> i was this gonna say did you to, hear that Xavier? Uh, i have nothing against any team <laughs> if the numbers say you know that's me say we're on uh you know there's some value here that's who i root for so it just happened to be kentucky was on the wrong end but now we're now we're kentucky fans this week and we'll see what happens and we'll see if we get to be uh kentucky fans moving forward as well well the game i want to ask about is uh also a noon game eastern so 9 a.m for me uh but it's a really good one. Uh, number eight, Cincinnati on the road against Tulsa. Mm. And the spread on this game is Cincy between, uh, I'm just looking at Vegas Insider, which has a bunch of different books, uh, between four and three in Cincinnati's favor, but the over is 44 everywhere. Uh, this is an interesting game because while Cincinnati, it was expected to be one of the better teams in college football, they are undefeated at 3-0, and but they haven't played uh, you know, a rough schedule as of yet. Uh, they played who was Austin P in their first game, Army and South Florida so far. So Tulsa is going to be by far the hardest game that they've played. And Tulsa is one and one, but they have played a uh, they've had two games postponed, uh, or two weeks postponed anyway. But they played Oklahoma State and held them to 16 points in a loss, 16 to seven. 
but they beat UCF on the road uh, right. last week uh, or a couple weeks ago. So that was uh, a good game, 34 to 26 for Tulsa, and they look very improved on defense. So how do we see this one playing out, Nick? I'm glad you brought this one up. I actually came prepared today and wrote down a few that I was interested in when it was my turn. Uh, and this was on the list because as I wrote out to our patrons today, when I, I uh, wrote our normal Wednesday winners, like we call it uh, colloquially, but uh, this, this game has a real, what do they know that we don't vibe to it? Because, uh, our numbers are are clear that Cincinnati should be favored uh, by by more than three for sure. Uh, yeah. All of our projection numbers uh, are a touchdown or more. Uh, it's seven on pure stats. It's eight and a half, almost nine on uh, our uh, talent edges here. So Cincinnati does have a that's a pretty big talent edge for a G five. Uh, conference game that that number doesn't uh, doesn't give us very wide margins. It tends to go toward underdogs a lot, and, and for it to uh, be at eight and a half or, or even higher is is saying something that Cincinnati really is uh, a more talented team. And you throw in all the coaching stuff, you throw in the, the past historical performance, even this year's numbers. Yes, Tulsa's played great against some decent competition, uh, but Cincinnati has one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, Cincinnati uh, actually ranks fifth overall in our defensive team performance numbers, 11th in our overall team performance numbers. So offensively, they've got a little work to do. They're 43rd, but uh, this is a, a very, very good defense. Uh, they're very well coached under Luke Fickle, and they're talented. For you know, they're one of the most most talented teams uh, in the American. So uh, somebody knows something that we don't, perhaps. And, and so keep that in mind. But this is a, a, one of, if not our biggest uh, edge of the week as far as our official projection, because our our final official number is uh, Cincinnati by fifteen and a half. Wow. And that makes me very, very nervous because uh, one, you know, on the one hand, you want a little bit of difference. You want to say, okay, we've, we know something that they don't know. Well, I don't feel like that on this one. I feel like this came out, it opened it, what it opened at three, right? Uh, and for it not to have moved in the way that, that we would have expected, uh, somebody might know something that, that we don't because our numbers don't see this as, as, a close game at all we're, we're on Cincinnati heavy so uh could that could totally backfire um I wouldn't you know uh, I, I always pre preach caution but I wouldn't over bet this one because there's a, a a huge numerical edge in our numbers but there is a huge numerical edge in our numbers so right uh maybe we've missed something but we're on Cincinnati pretty heavy well, Tulsa's look good, and Cincinnati has won, but they haven't looked good in doing it. I mean, a rider threw three picks against South Florida, who's looked pretty miserable this year. So, uh, I think, I, and I think, you know, obviously Vegas knows the the public will bet uh, the the more popular team, and while Cincinnati probably is better, Tulsa beating UCF and looking good doing it, playing much better defense than we expected. They've they're just you know, well ahead of our expectations, but uh, Xavier, what do you think about uh, Tulsa and Cincinnati? 
Yeah, this is a weird one. You kind of hit it right on the head. Cincinnati has not been impressive necessarily in their wins this year. Um, and and uh, one of the few teams playing defense. Yeah. Maybe, everybody, maybe what, everybody's like, what's wrong with Cincinnati? They're not scoring 60 points a game. <laughs> we kind of talked about that at the beginning of the year as to why I didn't think that they would be able to win the AAC was because I thought their offense would struggle and their defense would have to carry them game in and game out. And so far, it's it's pretty much been that way. Uh, their defense has really been the focal point uh, for their teams. And I don't think that bodes well for a Tulsa team that started slow, although they beat UCF. They started very slow against them. Uh, they had to, to pull it back late in that game. And I don't think that with Cincinnati's defense, that's going to be something that uh, Tulsa can necessarily do. So, so as with Tulsa, you know, Playing well against Oklahoma State, they also played against a second and third string quarterback, so we have to remember that scenario as well. It wasn't necessarily against Spencer Sanders and a fully healthy Oklahoma State offense. Uh, so we have to remember those things when we're thinking about a Tulsa team coming into this week, where I think this is going to be the best defense that they've played all season. And I think this is going to, I think I'm going to go with Nick's numbers here. It's going to be an ugly game. I think that Cincinnati can win by two and a, two and a half touchdowns. 17 points would not, by any means. Uh, surprise me uh, in this week because I think that Tulsa is not necessarily prepared for the defense that they'll see. They have yet to see it all year. I think even with UCF being such a great team offensively, we saw the defensive woes that they had against Georgia Tech earlier in the game, earlier in the year, and ECU. So I think that Tulsa is going to struggle mightily to start and finish against Cincinnati. And I think once again, Cincinnati's defense is going to do more than enough to give Cincinnati's offense enough time and enough uh, opportunities. So. All right, Nick, you're up. What game are you picking to look at this week? So, kind of a kind of a similar game, and one that just has me, you know, has me thinking a little bit, and, and has some outside factors that are are worth noting. BYU at Houston on Friday night. So, uh, last week I, I mentioned it, I think, and, and I know I mentioned it. Uh, you know, uh, when they were playing Louisiana Tech a couple of weeks ago, BYU is is sort of been playing obviously at, at, at an incredibly high level. They rank uh, first overall in our uh, team performance ratings. They rank first offensively in team performance, and they rank third on defense. And and they were blowing people out, and so they're you know. Uh, the, the point spread just kept going up and up and up and 35 last week against UTSA, you know, it, it, on, on a certain level, it, it made sense because UTSA wasn't quite maybe as good as a three and one team, what we would expect from a, a three and one team uh, usually, but that was uh, that, that I finally felt good about betting against BYU because we were, we've, we've been on the, the side opposite BYU Every week, and as long as these numbers are, are going to be uh, high like that, it, it's not really going to change because our, our our overall talent metrics, BYU just doesn't recruit at that high of a level. They're able to, to pick up some ground with production points. They're able to pick up some ground with team performance. And you know, Zach Wilson, if he keeps playing like a you know Heisman candidate, uh, he's going to to uh, really help that that rating grow and grow. But overall, eventually we knew BYU was going to uh, fail to cover one of those huge spreads. Last week, I was really kind of hoping they would end up winning by, you know, 21, something like that. So it looked a little worse uh, because this week it, it seems like the value pretty much is gone. Houston is a, a five and a half point underdog. 
And our numbers really still like Houston. Uh, we, we think that Houston actually has a talent edge. Uh, so, so, you know, Houston has the more talented team player for player, despite an edge for BYU at quarterback. Uh, Houston's got, you know, a, a ton of talent at receiver, a ton of talent in the secondary. They played really well, uh, you know, on the uh, defensive line in their first game last week. Uh, but our numbers see this as a pretty tight game overall. Houston would be favored by three if it were talent only. If it were uh, stats only, BYU would be favored by half a point, according to our numbers. And, and then officially, uh, we actually only have BYU as a one-point favorite. So we see this as a as a coin flip on paper. Now, the thing, of course, that throws a wrench into it, it's the elephant in the room anytime we talk, and we've talked about it several times already tonight, Houston seems to have a little bit of a COVID flare-up, and, and we don't know names, so there's no way for me to plug in the numbers and say, okay, it's you know the quarterback, it's the running back, it's it's two uh, linebackers, whatever. I have no idea where to deduct point points from, or if it's you know guys on, on the end of the bench. We don't know, so keep our our numbers in mind, but also know it sounds like as many as twenty Houston players could be impacted. So uh, that that I hate because similar to Cincinnati, yeah, we see an edge. We like Houston in this game. BYU, we think, even though they keep gaining ground in our numbers and, and they are now finally, uh, you know, they, they've been playing like a, a top 10 team all year on the field, but they had a huge jump last week despite only winning by seven to 24th in our numbers. So we're still a little lower on BYU than, than, you know, most, most folks out there, at least pollsters, but we, we, who knows, who knows what Houston's lineup is actually going to look like. So our numbers really like Houston. We do see some value on, on Houston plus five, five and a half, uh, whatever you can get it right now. Uh, our final score is, is BYU 30 Houston 29 but I, I just my confidence isn't there because I just don't know uh, what this COVID situation actually is uh, for Houston. So we'll keep an eye out, you know, over the next 24, 48 hours. And, and if we can make some adjustments, learn some names of, of who might be out, uh, we might get a clearer picture and, and might be able to take those guys out of our team profiles, out of our depth charts and, and get a different number because we do make those updates daily, hourly. Uh, but right now, our numbers like Houston, but there's a lot of unknowns out there. Xavier, what are your thoughts on BYU and Houston? I mean, uh, you know, BYU we thought looked invincible, and then uh, they they got uh, they were real close there uh, in that UTSA game this week. So, what do you think about Houston and BYU? Yeah, I I, I would be more concerned if BYU had blown out UTSA last week. Uh, I think BYU was sipping the Kool-Aid a bit. Uh, I think that they went in the last week maybe smelling themselves a little bit too much against the UTSA team that I don't think a lot of people had competing with them, especially with the way that BYU has looked early on in the year. Uh, but I think they got the, the the right punch in the face. They didn't lose the game, but they came close enough to where they, you know, the coaches can say, you guys aren't invincible. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's going to really help them this week against the Houston team. Now, let's be honest, Houston might have been preparing for uh, Houston might have been preparing for BYU for the last like two and a half weeks. I know yeah. that they played uh, Tulane this past week and, and they obliterated those guys, but they've had what four weeks 
of preparation for whoever they're, they're going to a lot of rest, a lot of rest time and, and a lot of reps. You know, they've essentially had yeah. to a spring practice with all the time that they've had off. So I think that that's going to bode well in some regard for this Houston team that comes in this week against, you know, they're going to be up for this game. I think Nick hits it right on the head. We don't know how many Houston players are going to be available. Uh, that's the biggest concern with them is that they can not stay away from COVID right now. They look like the just COVID hotspot. It's just, you know, whether it's their, the team that they're playing against or themselves, every week it seems like they cannot keep away from it enough to even play in the game. But they're going to be ready. Uh, and, and BYU has to make sure that they don't come out slow like they did against UTSA last week, or they will lose this game. We, you know, we can't forget Houston is a very explosive team led by Daniel H- uh, Hogerson, who runs a very explosive offense, a lot of deep shots. And if you're not prepared for that, you're going to get beat. Uh, you're going to get burned, and it might get ugly. I like BYU in this game. I think last week uh, against UTSA, coming so close to losing kind of gave themselves an opportunity to reset and get prepared mentally for this game, where otherwise I think they might fall in this game. Uh, But I really like uh, this matchup from a a Houston perspective. I think Houston covers. Uh, I think BYU walks away with the win, but I think Houston covers in this game. And uh, what's your second game you're going to pick this week, Xavier? Oh, man, this is tough. You know what? I I talked about it earlier. And I'm really excited to see how this goes. I'm going to go pit at Miami. I'm really excited to see what Miami does the week after a primetime loss. <laughs> Did you just have to scratch off the paper? Yeah, that was that was on my list. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what Miami team we get. This is a, a, a pit team that's going to come out hungry, a very good front four that's going to get after De'Ara King. And their offensive line did not play well last week. Uh, the, you know, And that's something I've been harping on this entire time about Miami is can their offensive line play consistently all year and give De'Ara King enough time to be the explosive player that he is. Um, he, once again, excelled with running the football. But you can tell that's not necessarily something he wants to do this year. I don't know, once again, if this is something he's trying to boost his draft stock on, but it's clear that he wants to sit in the pocket and make throws uh, as opposed to showing that he's an athlete because we all know that already. I think that bodes well for uh, Pittsburgh. If they can keep this from becoming a track meet, they have a chance to win this ball game. I think Pitt's one of those teams that, you know, comes away with ugly wins they make games ugly they make you play ugly can Miami play ugly and I want to see that this week against a pit defense that has been one of the better defenses in the ACC um, and they're going to ask a lot of uh, Miami's offense you know on the ground and through the air and especially of their offensive line so I'm really excited for this game I think Miami being the more talented team will eventually pull away but from uh, but don't be surprised if this is 14 14 at halftime and we're really asking the question on you know, is this loss to Clemson a lullover uh, for Miami going into this week? What do you think of this game, Nick? This is a very, very interesting one. Yeah, it is. It is a very interesting matchup. It, it was certainly on my list. It's uh, a game that our numbers do see a pretty clear uh, edge. And I was a bit surprised, to be quite honest, that this line is a, as big as it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Ten and a half last I saw. And, and our numbers keep it within single digits for sure uh, across the board. And, and, you know, Pitt is, Pitt is, is decent. I felt like Pitt might've been a little bit overrated the last couple of weeks, which uh, it surprised me a little bit that this week uh, they seem to be potentially underrated. They're, they're a team that is never, you know, they, they tease a little bit, they look great one week, can pull off a big upset, and then slip up and, and lose a game 
that they shouldn't. We saw them lose to uh, NC State uh, a couple of weeks ago, a game where they were, you know, pretty heavily fa- uh, favored. And, and then, you know, this past week lost to Boston College, kind of a, a little bit in a, a fluky way. A guy hits a 50-something yard field goal basically to send it to overtime, and then the same guy misses an extra point uh, that, that ends the game. So, you know, Pitt, one of the best defenses in the country, one of the best defensive lines in the country, uh, on the field for sure. I mean, Pitt ranks uh, first overall in our D-line uh, performance ratings. I know that uh, according to PFF, they have the third best run defense in the country, and, and they actually have the second best pass rush in the country just behind Cincinnati. So uh, defensively, they are going to give uh, Miami some trouble. De'Aaron King is going to have to uh, step up and, and make some plays, both with his arm and, and probably with his feet as well. And, and so I, I think that uh, Xavier made a, a, an interesting point about how it, it seemed like he was really trying to, you know, the last couple of weeks – stay in the pocket a bit more. It seemed to me very early in the year, he was uh, taking it, you know, kind of, kind of had a little bit of a, a happy feet in, in the season opener, at least. And maybe the first couple of games uh, was, was moving a, a little too quickly uh, to run, but you know, maybe he can find that balance this week, but he's going to be under a lot of pressure. I mean, that, that pit defense and, and especially that defensive line is very good. And, and of course, the Miami offensive line is still a concern. They rank 54th in our uh, O-line performance rating. So that's not a good matchup for Miami. But, you know, King does have escapability, does have the ability to buy time, find maybe an open receiver. Brevin Jordan is super talented tight end, got a little banged up last week. Hopefully he'll be able to, to come back and, and be close to 100%. Little, you know, questions about are they going to be able to run the football. Cameron Harris has been off to a really strong start, but, you know, not a not a great matchup against Pitt. So it looks like actually this line might be creeping up and up toward uh, close to, to two touchdowns. Uh, looks yeah, like Caesars right has now, it at 13. Yeah, 13 to 13 and a half and 47 wow. to 48 and a half is the over. Yeah, so we, we did not get a good number when we released this officially to patrons because we're, we're on pit plus 10 and a half. So we, we definitely, uh, you know, don't, don't have the best of it here, but you know, our, our official number has pit keeping it within a touchdown, uh, talent edge Miami as talented as they are on paper, still single digits. We have them favored by nine and then stats only, uh, Miami by eight. So we have a final score of, uh, Miami 28 pit 21. I think that pit will be able to, to keep it close, uh, but you know, Miami, probably this is a game that they should win. Uh, all right. For me, the last game I'll pick here, uh, and I keep going back and forth between a couple, but UCF on the road against Memphis, I think is going to be one of the more interesting games of the week for sure. As it stands right now, it looks like UCF is favored by about three and the over is 73 and a half, a big one yeah. in that game, Nick. So, uh, how do we see this one playing out? Because UCF is fairly banged up. Yeah, UCF had some had some injury issues, especially at the receiver position. Marlon Williams is, has stepped up in the absence of Trey Nixon, who was banged up and, and missed the last couple of games, uh, and been absolutely incredible, put up just huge, huge numbers. But he was banged up at the end of 
the game against Tulsa and, and uh, earlier this week when Josh Heupel was speaking with reporters, they have a couple of running backs who've been, uh, you know, dealing with some nagging injuries and, and Heupel uh, when talking about those guys said, oh yeah, you know, they'll be, they'll be back. Uh, seem, seem very uh, positive about uh, where they were headed, expected both of them to be available and, and close to hundred percent this weekend. Reporters then brought up Williams and Nixon and, and Heupel's tone changed and he was a bit evasive, very vague. So, uh, you know, sounds like they're going to be a little shorthanded at the receiver position, which is, is a bit of a, uh, you know, not necessarily where you want to be if, if you're UCF, of course. Uh, they do still have talent, still think that they can uh, run the football, of course. They are creative uh, to get you know, guys like Otis Anderson, the ball in space, Dylan Gabriel. I'm, I'm still very impressed with him week in and week out. Jalen Robinson has the potential, I think, to step up and be a number one receiver, but is somebody like, you know, Amari Johnson or, or uh, you know, Alex Harris or, or Jacob Harris, somebody like that going to be able to, to step in and make plays that, you know, maybe you would be missing if Nixon and Williams are unavailable. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned with that. Uh, our numbers do, uh, basically we, we consider Nixon as being out and we consider Marlon uh, Williams as being highly doubtful. So he's, he's not counted as a starter. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we still think that uh, UCF is is the better team. At least our numbers do. Our, our official uh, number is close to five and a half. We've talked a lot in the off season that UCF was far and away our our highest rated G five team. That really, despite the upset from Tulsa, isn't going to change too much. I mean, we we think that they are uh, player for player, you know, the most talented team probably in in all of. Uh, group of five, and and even with these injury concerns, think that there's enough talent there uh, that they're going to be able to to overcome it and and win the game. We don't necessarily, of course, expect a blowout. And our other metrics, our our talent edge has it closer, has it about two and a half UCF uh, with the edge, and and then our stats only has it uh, right around a field goal. But uh, final score prediction. It's again a, a number in the seventies. We're we're going to be in on the unders for now. It's probably going to be an off season project to uh, figure out how to to get our tails, uh, you know, wider so we can actually pick some overs on some heavy, you know, big numbers. But thirty five thirty is is our projected final score. So pretty high scoring game, but still comfortably under. I wouldn't necessarily suggest betting that, but uh, we think it's going to be a great game and think that UCF should win. And uh, at least our official number uh, thinks that it'll be closer to a touchdown than than a field goal. Xavier, what are your thoughts on that uh, UCF at Memphis matchup there? Well, yeah, I- I'm excited uh, because, and more so than anything, I think Memphis has had a long time. I think the last did they play what two weeks ago? If I'm not mistaken, they've had a while to get prepared for this UCF matchup, and, and that really makes me almost lean towards Memphis here. I, I think that. UCF's biggest issue for me this year is their inconsistency quarter to quarter. They have yet to put together a full game. They struggled in the first half against um, ECU. They struggled in the first quarter against Georgia Tech. They, you know, obviously losing to Tulsa and struggling in the second half against them. They have yet to put a full game together. And it's really not a good time to try to do that against a Memphis team that's had two weeks 
you know, and enough time to get prepared for an offense that's really banged up at the current moment. Uh, this is going to have to really be a Dylan Gabriel masterclass for UCF to win, in my opinion. I'm picking Memphis for the upset on this one. Uh, I think Memphis gets it done just be due to the preparation that they've had, and they have had their wake-up call as well. They lose to uh, SMU in a game that I don't think that they felt all too prepared for. Uh, once again, they only played, you know, they started off slow themselves in that game, being down 17-3 to early. I think they've, you know, Fix those issues. They're the healthier of the two teams coming into this week. And I think they're going to be the more focused. And I'm going to go with Memphis here to go ahead and get the upset. Uh, I think Brady White's going to outdo Dylan Gabriel. I think both quarterbacks are going to have to have a great game for their teams to win. But I'm going to be honest with you, Memphis having two weeks to prepare for UCF is a big factor, especially in this 2020 season. You see the teams that are more prepared seem to be playing better. And having two weeks to prepare for a team versus, you know, six days or whatever UCF decided to take uh, to prepare for Memphis. I'm going to go with Memphis on this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch for sure. And uh, I think UCF's better, but they're a little banged up. And like uh, Xavier said, Memphis had more time to prep. So it's going to be a real fun one to watch on Saturday. Uh, what's your uh, what's your uh, next game there, Xavier? Or you already picked. Nick, we're on your last one. <laughs> well, there, there seems to be a, a decent game in Tuscaloosa this weekend that, that maybe we could talk about. Uh, it looks like... Uh, number three, Georgia, and number two, Alabama. Uh, so that, that you know, I, I guess we might as well. I'm sure people have heard uh, plenty of previews so far about that game. And, you know, quite honestly, I don't know if I have a ton to add personally to that. Uh, you know, our numbers see this right around uh, sort of what, what the market, what the odds makers see. Uh, it opened – at uh, Alabama minus four, I believe, and, and it's gone up uh, to about six. And our numbers are, are right around there. We've got, uh, from a talent edge perspective, Alabama favored by four. Our stats only model has Alabama by five and a half. So both of those, of course, uh, as of the, the, the official number, it was Alabama minus six when we released it to our patrons earlier Wednesday. But uh, our, our official projection when we incorporate all the uh, past performance, all the coaching metrics and, and uh, things like that, it's closer to a touchdown. So we actually are on Alabama officially to, to cover this, but it's, it's going to be obviously the, the, you know, biggest game that we've seen the, the uh, two highest rate teams in the AP poll that we've seen in a game this season, what we expect to be a preview of the SEC championship, what a lot of people, at least through the first uh, you know, month plus of the season, expect to be potentially a, a playoff preview. So Alabama is, I think, it's pretty clear to say that the top offense in the country right now, they still have a little bit of room to grow in that. I, I talked about uh, how – you know, Clemson is as good as it gets at the quarterback and running back positions because, you know, Tra uh, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne uh, are both 100 rated players according to our numbers. They were 100 rated players basically coming into last year. So uh, Clemson still has a little bit of room to go to grow because their offensive line is, you know, modest. It's like a top uh, 25 unit. The receiving core is good, you know, very talented, but, but, still pretty young top six, but a lot of those guys, uh, you know, could, could still add some production points and things like that. Well, Alabama, Mac Jones is 
despite putting up Heisman-type numbers uh, through the first few games of, of this year, he's still just an 88-rated player, according mm-hmm. to our VGR Plus uh, individual player model. And, and he's put up eight production points and, and uh, what he started seven games now. So that's, that's a, a pretty incredible rate. So if he keeps performing at that level, he's going to be a 100 rated player quickly. And with the quarterback position weighing the most, as far as our, our roster strength uh, ratings go, Alabama is going to continue to close that gap and potentially uh, overtake Clemson and Ohio state for that top spot. If, if Mac Jones were a 100 rated player, which he might be in four or five weeks, uh, you know, this, this is going to be about a, as high a rated team, certainly as we've ever had, because Alabama, uh, at least offensively, is, is close to maxed out in every position with Najee Harris, you know, in the Heisman conversation, deservedly so. Yeah. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, two of the best receivers in the country, both 100-rated players. They've got some of the best offensive linemen in the country, a couple of guys rated uh, 100, including Alex Leatherwood, who a lot of folks uh, who pay attention to, you know, do a lot of film work for the offensive line think is uh, in the conversation to be, you know, the, the top offensive lineman in college, or at least in the SEC, if not college football. So uh, Alabama, despite being, you know, very highly rated, and, and we do think has a chance to cover this game, what I'm most interested in is – of course, I've mentioned it before. What's the defense look like? Uh, but two, this offense, as good as it is, still has a little bit of room to grow, at least according to our numbers. So uh, I, I think, too, you know, how is this game really going to be decided? Because our numbers are so close to what the experts out there think, to what the market and, and the odds makers think. Then you start to think, or, or at least I do, you know, when, when we are so close and there's not a, a real – uh, discrepancy and how our numbers see it and, and how everybody else sees it, start to think more uh, about how's the game going to play out because these are two different styles now. Uh, Alabama is clicking on all cylinders offensively, scored 63 points last week, capable of putting up you know, 40, 50, 60 points it seems like every week. But Georgia has the best defense in the country. They, they did allow – 21 points last week, but the you know the defense actually only allowed 14 because uh, Tennessee was able to get a defensive touchdown, and, and then you know the the advanced metrics and, and things like that that we incorporate into our uh, defensive team performance ratings are, are very very complementary of Georgia. They're the number one defense and team you know defensive team performance 97.5, uh, which is uh, you know pretty difficult to to top. That would be. Uh, that would be the, the number one rating uh, last year. So off to a very good start. And are they going to be able to slow Alabama down and, and make Alabama try to play a, a slower-paced game? Like maybe Nick Saban would be used to playing, would maybe like to to play a little bit more of a, a game that we would have seen five or, or ten years ago, that sort of style. Or are we going to see – uh, you know, 2019, 2020 Alabama, where it's just push the pace, push, uh, you know, big plays going down the field. Uh, are they going to be able to say, hey, Georgia, you have to ke- you know, keep up with us? LSU was able to do that to Georgia last year in the SEC championship game. Can Alabama do it 
to Georgia this year. I, that that's what I'm most interested to see. This one, fortunately, don't have you know a big rooting interest as far as the numbers go, so I can just sit back and, and enjoy this game, and, and hopefully it will be the best game of, of the week. Uh, certainly is set up to be the best game that we've seen so far this year, and to see you know the the number one offense and the number one defense uh, by most people's uh, metrics in, in the in the country uh, face off against one another is is really exciting can't can't wait to to watch this one saturday xavier what are your thoughts you think uh, uga comes away with this one i don't know uh, and that's the best way i can put it uh i'm not stressing about it so much because florida lost to texas a&m thank you gators uh so this doesn't mean the end of our season if we were to lose on saturday uh, but i think that it around the head it's best against best it's, it's best offense in the sec versus the best defense in the sec which one budgets first uh, you know, and, and the thing about Alabama that I think people may have lost in the track meet that was Saturday's game was that Najee Harris ran for five touchdowns. Yeah. So they can do it on the ground or through the air, and they've shown it in both. So this is easily, you know, outside of Clemson, got to be the best offense that Georgia will probably see all season if we were to play Clemson, obviously, later on in the, in the playoff. But this offense has no flaws or has not shown to have any real flaws um, as of yet. You know, maybe, you know, we have to go back to the Iron Bowl the last time. Mac Jones really looked rattled in the pocket and looked shaky um, in that ball game where obviously he throws a pick six and, you know, he, he didn't look good for four quarters. But can Georgia do that to Mac Jones this time? That is my biggest – that's where I think Georgia is going to maybe win this ball game If they can get to Mac Jones, this game has a completely different undertone. Because I think that Mac Jones, being as solid as he has been, has yet to face a good defense since he played Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And then when you have that ability to build that confidence, the one thing that you don't think about is, well, what's he going to be like when he's under duress? What is he going to be like when Georgia blitzes six and he has to make a quick decision? Because right now he's been playing defenses that, let's be honest with us, ourselves, are bad. He's had all the time in the world to find whoever he wanted to. And from that kind of a standpoint is where I'm expecting to see Mac Jones. The same thing goes uh, for Stetson Bennett, though, because although Alabama's defense hasn't looked great, it's still a talented defense. The windows are going to be tighter. It's going to be much more difficult uh, to make those throws that you've been making, especially across the middle. I mean, the, the blueprint is out on Stetson Bennett. He loves to throw the ball across the middle of the field. Alabama's going to take that away. They're going to make him make good throws down the sideline, the Pickens and uh, Kiaris Jackson and company. He's, they're going to make him do that. So what is going to be Georgia's game plan to, to you know, mitigate that? Is it going to be running the football more? Obviously, we struggled to do that last week against Tennessee. Will we struggle doing that against Alabama? Uh, so the chess match is really going to be what I'm really interested in watching. Obviously, will Nick Saban's, what is it? 21 and 0 record against his assistants finally be broken. You know, this is something, you know, this is going to be a chess match. And the most intriguing part about this game is they may see each other again. So who goes all out? Who decides that they're going to pull out the trick play or, you know, the, the halfback pass or the reverse that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily pull out if you feel like you see, you're going to see a team again, or do you do it because you think that this might be the end all be all uh, because, you know, Coaches like to keep stuff close to the best. And if they think that they might see Alabama in the SEC championship game, do they pull out all the stops? Or do they say, you know what, we're going to give them a balanced diet of what we normally do. And then in the SEC championship game, if we get there, we'll do it that way. So I think I'm really excited for this ball game. obviously being primetime CBS. 
I think Georgia and Alabama are, you know, and I think also we have to be thinking about this from a national championship perspective. Whoever is going to win this game is going to be two, maybe one. And depending on how this game goes, we're going to, you know, initially compare them to Clemson. So which one of these teams looks like the best team that maybe beats Clemson? You know, so we're going to, all of those things are going to be in this ball game. I think at the end of the day, I trust Mac Jones and I trust Nick Saban to get that defense right more so than I trust Stetson Bennett at the moment. So I'm going to go Alabama here. Uh, I'm not going to be the homer. I, I do genuinely think that Stetson Bennett is good enough to win this game. I just don't see him doing it this early on in the season. If this was week seven, week eight, probably with some more time under his belt. But I just see some glaring weaknesses in his ability to throw the ball on the outside that I think Alabama is going to exploit. And our inability to run the football is something uh, that I think Alabama is really going to try and harp on. And either going to you know rush four and drop seven and make Stetson Bennett be the best quarterback since Aaron Murray. Uh, so I think that's where I see Alabama leaning towards defensively. I think Alabama pulls away, wins by maybe seven or ten, uh, maybe with a garbage score late on to, to really stretch that lead a bit. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game as long as it gets played. Obviously, we got, uh, yeah. you know, from what we've heard so far, what I read, you know, uh, in between talking here is that uh, the Thursday test will come back Friday and then we'll kind of see, uh, you know, we'll see how the, the tests uh, pan out then because if there's an outbreak, obviously the game will get pushed. But uh, yeah. that, just that, just minutes ago, I was scrolling through Twitter as well. Uh, Saban said that zero players have tested positive so far. So okay, everybody good. out there, I'm sure, has read that already. But uh, yeah. so so the three of us know. So that that's good news. He he was just uh, having some some uh, a press conference, you know, a Zoom call with uh, reporters. So uh, that that's good news, and, and hopefully they'll be able to keep that number at zero or very very right. close to it. All right. So to wrap it up, Nick, do you have any uh, all three agrees or any plays that you really like for this week? Let us know. Yeah. So we've we've talked about a few of them. I mean, Houston, Cincinnati and Pitt. Uh, we've also talked about how we we didn't necessarily get the best number. That doesn't uh, make me feel great. Usually when you want to you want to see some uh, line value, uh, if you're on the right side, usually it's going to move toward you, not away from you. So uh, we're, you know, Houston, we had a plus four and a half. I think that's up to five and a half. Last I saw uh, Pitt, we talked about, we got 10 and a half. It's up to 13. So, you know, not, not feeling great about that, but uh, also not feeling necessarily great about Cincinnati since that number has not budged. We would have expected that one to, to climb up uh, into the, you know, four, four and a half, something like that. But anyway, we'll, we'll go with it because that's what, that's what the numbers say. And, and then uh, some others that we like Auburn minus three against South Carolina. A uh, little bit surprised that that one has stayed as low as it has. I know Auburn's not been terribly impressive. Xavier, you obviously mentioned it earlier that they should have lost last week. Uh, we're fortunate that that just sort of by a fluke early whistle and and that Arkansas guy didn't uh, hop on the ball immediately. They they were able to hold on to that and kick a game winning field goal. But uh, we think Auburn is is closer to a touchdown. Uh, and, and most of our numbers uh, over Bobby, South Carolina. still mad at that game. Look at his face. He is. Hey, I He's am so yeah. angry about that. I, I should have. Yeah, Arkansas should have won the <laughs> <laughs> I love an underdog story. And obviously, Sam Pittman being a former Georgia coach to beat yeah, Auburn yeah. back-to-back weeks, the Georgia guy beats Auburn, bliss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're on uh, Kansas plus 22 and a half. 
that number has come down quite a bit and it's it's basically that's the highest we could get it our, our numbers have west virginia uh by almost three touchdowns basically in, in uh two of the three metrics so uh that one we're, we're pretty close on but we're still there uh western kentucky we've been unfortunately somewhat on western kentucky every week it seems there are a few teams that are are definitely repeats uh in this segment that's one of them right now our our numbers are are yet to completely give up on western kentucky we've got them uh plus 13 and a half this week against uh who, who are they playing uh they are playing uh, god i had i had a couple of guys uab 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 yeah yeah sorry i didn't have that right in front of me just had the list uh but yeah we're we're on Western Kentucky, our numbers haven't quite given up on them yet. Uh, same for Mississippi State. And, and this number does include the potential that KJ Costello uh, may not start this game. We split he and um, uh, Will Rogers as the starting quarterbacks. There's a big discrepancy in the, the player ratings there. Uh, so this is a, a you know, uh, Mississippi State is going to be a team probably that we're going to be on most weeks uh, until they, you know, kind of figure things out. Last week was, of course, a big disappointment. This week they've got Texas A&M coming in on off of a, a big-time win. So maybe we get a little bit of hangover effect. Uh, but we're on Mississippi State. Our numbers have it uh, between three and a half and five. And the number that we have officially is, is six and a half. UMass back in action. And this is about as, as – uh, uh, small a number as we could get to, to bet UMass. Uh, plus 31 against Georgia Southern. Uh, our official number is 29.8. So we see a <laughs> tiny bit of value. Uh, so that's that's huge for two G5 teams. So our number, UMass right now is our 130th ranked team. Uh, and, you know. Still, we're going to be on UMass. So UMass plus 31. Louisiana Tech every week, it seems. But we're 13 and a half, uh, plus 13 and a half for Louisiana Tech this week against Marshall. Our numbers are still a little bit lower on Marshall than, than most. So uh, that, you know, we can expect to, to be on the opposite side of Marshall, similar to, to where we are in BYU most weeks. Florida State. Same thing, 13 and a half. That does include the fact that Tamari Terry, unfortunately, is going to be out uh, with a uh, – he, he underwent a minor knee surgery. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Still, we couldn't get the number big enough. Uh, we're on Florida State plus 13.5 against North Carolina. Don't feel great about that because Florida State just has not looked good. They did cover, though, last week against uh, Notre Dame, so I guess there is some hope. Uh, Southern Miss minus six uh, at UTEP. We still don't really respect UTEP, so that's actually a pretty big edge. And I, I feel I feel decent about that. I, I, I do let everybody know when I don't necessarily agree with the numbers, but our numbers are double digits pretty solidly across the board on Southern Miss. So even though UTEP has been better than expected and Southern Miss has been worse than expected, I, I think that maybe they get it right and, and win that game by a couple of touchdowns or more. We're seemingly always on Boston College, and so far it's worked out decently well. Uh, I was telling Scott we'd uh, record – the ITL CFF show late Saturday nights. And I accidentally in my own personal uh, betting made a, made a mistake and doubled up on 
Boston College, and so I was really sweating it when it went to uh, <laughs> overtime. But it, it ended up as a happy accident, so they they helped me out there. Hopefully, they'll help us at plus twelve uh, this week against Virginia Tech, and then FIU plus seven and a half uh, against Charlotte. We we missed last week because we had North Texas uh, favored against Charlotte. I mentioned that that I thought that was a little bit of a weird line, and it turned out to be uh, wrong, obviously, but. Uh, we're still not quite, you know, up on on uh, North Texas quite yet. So we've got FIU plus seven and a half, and we see that basically as a, a coin flip. So I think FIU has a good shot maybe to win that one outright. And then there are two that line up where uh, not only all three of our, our numbers agree, but we actually think that the wrong team is favored. And again, somewhat unfortunately, because they haven't been very good to us, uh, it's North Texas. We've got them plus six and a half. This week, think that they actually uh, should be uh, favored to, to win that game against uh, Middle Tennessee uh, on Saturday. And, and then uh, Texas State, plus two and a half against South Alabama. A uh, little bit of a surprise. I, I feel better about that one than I do mm-hmm. the North Texas. I, I think Texas State uh, very easily could be, maybe should be favored uh, over South Alabama. So, too many uh, of these this week. I would really prefer if we were in single digits <laughs> and not setting uh, a record week after week because, yeah, we've been 65%. Feel good about that. I think we've done some good work, but that's that's too high. And the more exposure we've got, the, you know, the higher the likelihood that we're, that number is going to tick down a little bit more. But hopefully we'll be able to still go, you know, 55% or better. Uh, that's that's the goal on these for sure, and uh, they've been good so far. Hopefully, they'll continue. Uh, we'll be able to squeak out a few more winning weeks, but a lot of those, all three agree this week, a little too many, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. We hope you all enjoy week seven. Hopefully, these games get played. We know we've already had a couple cancellations, and we might have uh, a couple more coming our way, but fingers crossed that we don't. So follow us all on Twitter. You can follow me at Bogman Sports. You can follow Nick at CFB Winning Edge, and follow Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, C-R-I-C-H-E, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.